Hi readers and welcome to episode 29 of Lost the Plot, the Tinted Edges monthly podcast all about books. I'm your host Ang Harrod and today we have a special guest for a Halloween inspired episode, award winning Canberra author Karen Warren who is going to talk to us about writing horror. Death and murder and ghosts and all those sorts of things as well. Mm. If you want to follow along and find out more information about all the topics discussed in this episode, you can check out the show notes on the Lost the Plot webpage at www.tintededges.com slash lost dash the dash plot. First of all, some updates. Very exciting news for our friends Erin Claire Barrow and Sean Costello, who have both been guests on this show previously and who both successfully funded their crowdfunding campaigns for their books. Erin Claire's book The Adventurous Princess and Other Feminist Fairy Tales reached a couple of stretch goals, which means additional stories in the final book, and Sean's book Capital Yarns Volume 2 also got a government grant. I've had a sneak peek at his cover and it looks very nice, so keep an eye out for both of these books in Canberra stores. I only made it along to one book event in September, which was Sisonke Msimang's talk on her memoir Always Another Country. Sisonke was a wonderful, articulate speaker, and I can't wait to read her book about growing up in exile as the daughter of South African freedom fighters. I think the summer program is starting to kick in and there are lots of events coming up in November and December, so follow the Tinted Edges Facebook page to stay up to date with what's coming up in the literary world. Another event that was on that I stayed home for was Australian Reading Hour. So even though I left it to basically the 11th hour, I did manage to get stuck into my book Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. There was a lot of reading going on in the comments, with people reading books like the Psychology of Time Travel, The Woman Who Fooled the World, Belle Gibson's Cancer Con, Beneath the Mother Tree, and No Friend But the Mountains, writing from Manus Prison. Finally, we had a very sad update from Dixon Public Library, which was affected badly by the floods in Canberra in February. Although the library was partially open, it had to be closed again in late September after some asbestos was discovered in inactive bathrooms. Libraries ACT have put up some more information about the works on their website, and partial services resumed again from the 4th of October. It was Indigenous Literacy Day on the 5th of November, and my workplace hosted a great book swap. I completely forgot to bring my books in the morning to sell, but I did exchange some gold coins for a couple to take home. Apart from that, there wasn't much books for the world news except that I took a trip to Timor-Leste. Although it was for a holiday, I couldn't help but check out some of the local book institutions. I was travelling with my dad and on our first day he managed to discover Timor-Leste's National Library, or Bibliotecas, which is part of the Secretaria de Estado de Cultura, and the assistant administrator, a lovely man called Americo, took us on a tour of the library so far, and it was very, very small. My Tatum was a bit rusty, but his Bahasa Indonesia was very good, and he told me all about the plans to build a new multi-level national library and fill it with a large collection of books. They're having some problems, he said, with actually sourcing books, though, and they're also having problems getting good staff training opportunities. Timor-Leste has quite a unique linguistic situation with two official national languages, Portuguese and Tatum, which is the most widely spoken indigenous language. 
There are not a lot of books published in Tatum, and sourcing books from Portuguese-speaking countries can be logistically very difficult. Americo said that they were also looking for books in English and Indonesian, and would really appreciate any exchanges or training opportunities that other libraries around the world might be able to offer. Anyway, so if you are a librarian listener with some good connections, please get in touch with me via the Tinted Edges website or on Facebook or via Twitter. I did post on Twitter and got some good ideas to begin with, but it would be great to speak to somebody with some industry experience. Unfortunately, it does look like the National Library website is down at the moment, but I do have Americo's direct contact details. I also stopped by the Janana Guzmao Reading Room in Dili, which is a library and museum privately owned by Timor-Leste's first president. The man at the front desk said that proceeds from books for sale there went directly to fund the Janana Guzmao Reading Room, so I bought a copy of Guzmao's autobiography. You can also make donations directly to the reading room via its website. Anyway, I was hoping to read a book by a Timorese author while I was there, but unfortunately I couldn't source one in time for my trip, and it wasn't until my second last day that I made it to the Janana Guzma reading room. I did have a good time reading generally though, and I'll chat a bit about my September reads later on in the episode. September was a little quiet for book news, but the Man Booker Prize 2018 shortlist was announced. Six novels were nominated for Best Novel Written in English by an author of any nationality, but published in the UK and Ireland. The shortlisted books were Milkman by Anna Burns, Washington Black by Essie Edugian, Everything Under by Daisy Johnson, The Mars Room by Rachel Kushner, The Overstory by Richard Powers, and The Long Take by Robin Robertson. Now, at the time that this podcast was released, the winner had already been announced, but I might save that news for the next episode, though you can look up spoilers if you want. Now, there was an exciting new almost book release. Artist Quentin Blake, who is best known for his illustrations for Roald Dahl's children's books, has released a series of illustrations imagining beloved character Matilda at 30 years old, in a variety of incredible careers. The three new artworks showing Matilda as an astrophysicist, a world traveller, and as chief executive of the British Library have been released, and the artworks celebrate 30 years since the publication of Matilda, which is, incidentally, the same number of years since I was born, and three special hardback editions of the book have been released featuring each of the illustrations on the front cover. Now, I'm not usually one for book trailers, but Text Publishing released an incredible book trailer that really makes me want to read the book. The trailer is for The Helpline by Catherine Collette, and it very cleverly uses animated post-it notes to give a very succinct insight into main character Jermaine and her fall from grace as a mathematician. I would definitely recommend you give it a look just for the joy of it. Now, speaking of trailers and moving into book adaptations, a trailer has been released for Elena Ferrante's novel, My Brilliant Friend, and it looks, well, brilliant. The casting is perfect, the filming looks excellent, and although the book left me with mixed feelings, I am very keen to see the movie. So speaking of book adaptations and moving straight into both book controversies and the only Harry Potter news story this month, there was an outcry after a new trailer from the upcoming Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them film, Crimes of Grindelwald, and an accompanying article on Pottermore revealed that Nagini, 
who was Lord Voldemort's snake, was in fact originally a witch. Now, this sounds pretty incongruous, but the witch is a maledictus, a witch or wizard cursed to eventually turn into an animal permanently. And she's played by Claudia Kim, a South Korean actor, and the internet was not happy. I think there were two tweets that really summed it up. First, so Nagini is a Korean woman with an Indian name who lived in Albania and who later turned into a Horcrux? What's next? And then somebody else said, me. I don't think anyone would make me want to see Fantastic Beasts less than the support of a wife beater and the straight washing of Dumbledore. J.K. Rowling, hold my beer. <laughs> anyway, the main criticism is that by making Nagini an Asian woman, it is perpetuating two stereotypes. One, that Asian women are submissive, as Nagini is Voldemort's pet and or servant, and two, the sexualization of Asian women as exotic. Young adult author Ellen O wrote, I feel this is the problem when white people want to do diversity and don't actually ask people of color how to do so. And this isn't the first time that J.K. Rowling has received negative feedback for her approach to racial diversity in the Harry Potter franchise. There was also outcry when there was only one school given to the entire continent of Africa called Wagadu. And then there was further outcry when J.K. Rowling tried to explain Native American wizards in her background material on American wizarding history for the first Fantastic Beasts film. Now, the second film has copped a lot of heat already, especially around the continued casting of Johnny Depp in the wake of his admission that he committed domestic violence against his ex-wife Amber Heard. But it's scheduled for release in November, and I think a lot of people are still going to go see it. Now, there was a terrible, terrible book crime that happened here in Canberra. My favourite triannual event, the Canberra Lifeline Book Fair, was held in September. Hooray! You might remember from an earlier episode that the Lifeline Book Fair collects book donations and then sells them to raise money to keep their suicide hotline running. Fantastic cause, right? Well, someone didn't care about that at all and broke into the fair's premises at Exhibition Park in Canberra and stole six bags of rare books, which was approximately 60 individual books, before the fair opened, and it's estimated that the books were worth thousands of dollars, money that would have gone towards the charity. Apparently, CCTV footage was handed over to the police, showing a man entering the premises, but there haven't been any further reports since. In more uplifting Canberra news, it has been publicly announced that a Harry Hartog bookstore will be opening in Canberra in 2019. The bookshop will take up two levels and sounds like it will include a cafe and will be open for late night events. I'm hoping to get more news on this soon, but I seriously cannot wait. Then finally, in the most exciting and enviable news, a customer of a bookshop called Bookends in the town of Cardigan in Wales has won the entire bookstore in a raffle. The owner, Paul Morris, opened the store about four years ago, and even though the business is estimated to be worth about £30,000, after Paul's osteoarthritis worsened, he decided instead to retire early and just give someone else the chance of living their dream. Anyone who spent more than £20 in store went into the draw, and the winner was a Dutch man called Kasian van Heerden, who wasn't present when his name was drawn out of the hat, which was filled with 59 others. However, he got the phone call, he's moving to Wales with a friend of his from Iceland to officially take over the store in November. Moving on from dreams come true to worst nightmares, it's time for our Halloween special.
So it's a very rainy, stormy Saturday afternoon, and I'm sitting here with local horror author Karen Warren. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I, you know, I woke up this morning. It was very grey and gloomy and stormy, and I thought it is the perfect weather to talk about horror fiction. Oh, absolutely. And then we were sitting in there, and the rain was pounding on the cast iron roof. And yes. It was so atmospheric. It was very atmospheric. <laughs> it's settled down a bit now, but it's still pretty grey. So what do you think makes a book a horror? novel? I think there's a lot of elements but the one major one that I've identified is a lack of hope. A lack of a hope? A lack of hope. Oh that's very interesting. With most things that you read like with crime and thrillers and most fiction and even the darker crime at the end of it there's, a, there's often hope. So a crime is solved or the bad person gets caught. Uh, with most horror fiction I think there is a lack of that uplifting ending. And I've had arguments with people that if a story has an uplifting, like a happy ending, mm-hmm. does that mean it's not horror? And mm-hmm. I have a little feeling that it isn't horror. Yeah, interesting. Mm. So horror's going to leave you not feeling very good at the end of it for it yeah. to be horror. Yeah, Otherwise, okay. it's not quite horror. So it's sort of, it has to be holistically horror. It, you know, maybe a story could have elements of horror yeah. in it, but for it to be a true horror book, it needs to overall really leave you feeling um, pretty hopeless at yes. the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And all the way through, I mean, I, I say that, but I mean, certainly I, the things that I write, I write sometimes do have that little uplift at the mm. end and some things are resolved. It doesn't mean a lack of resolution. Mm. But, yeah. Yeah. And this, I mean, I think there probably is horror that does end with that up note, but I think most of it, most of it doesn't. That's quite a poetic way yeah. to think of it. Mm. And there's uplifts in the middle of it. Like, I think, like, with any fiction or any stories you tell, there's got to be ups and downs. Yeah. So it can't be just this relentless... Um, hammering of awful things happening. Yeah. There have to be moments of levity and humour and love and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing and they, they balance the, the horrible stuff that, that might be happening. Yeah. So what do you think first drew you to horror? It's, look, it, they are just the stories I've always been interested in mm. and I'm not sure why. Like from a really young age, I was reading uh, the fairy tales, the Grimm's fairy tales, oh, yes. from about the age of five or so. Like yep. as soon as I could pick up a book, those were the ones I was drawn to. But definitely the darker ones like Bluebeard, and these are uh, one called I think it was Snow White and Res- Rose Red, which is there's a oh, description yeah. in that where her blood falls on the snow and it's white and red mixed together. And I just was absolutely fascinated mm. uh, by that. Mm. And I'm not sure exactly why. It's just this fascination in uh, why people do what they do. I've got a fascination with the afterlife and what possibly lies beyond that. Mm-hmm. So that includes um, death and murder and ghosts and all those sorts of things as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm not, I don't know exactly why, but it is definitely, these are the stories that I've been interested in, in exploring from a very young age. Yeah, because it's interesting because um, it seems like quite recently there's been a bit of a resurgence of fairy tale retellings. Um, and, you know, I, I did notice when I was young that uh, I'd read some versions of fairy tales that would seem very, you know, quite uplifting and bright. And then maybe older versions that would be much darker mm. and much more violent and, and quite horrible, really. Yes. I mean, even even an example, I think, is the... Um, uh, you know that you know that Disney film Frozen. Yeah. You know, and it's sort of inspired by I think it's the the Ice Queen yes. or, the, or something like yeah. that. And I remember reading a version of that when I was young, and it was about you know 
this girl who'd gotten shards of a mirror trapped in her eyes and it affected the way she saw the yes, world and everything yes. was really dark and awful and I'm like oh <laughs> very different to let it go in frozen yeah, that's for no, sure. exactly <laughs> I think a lot of the fiction the kids were reading you know, a couple of hundred years ago was quite terrifying yeah like, it's all these lots of cautionary tales isn't it and yeah what would yeah. happen if you do the wrong thing and you step out of line and yeah real, real consequences I think real consequences yeah, yeah. Um, like the little mermaid for example oh my gosh um, that I just, gave me nightmares. That little moment totally gave me nightmares. That idea of walking, like making the choice that you would walk on knives yeah. for the rest of your life. Yeah. Like, unbelievable. Yeah. And it, well, and even just, you know, the ending. The, yes. Um, you know, you try and, you try and convince somebody to fall in love with you and you can't speak to them and it doesn't work out and then you turn into sea foam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, it's just a bit. And then you sort of watch, again, like the Disney version. Mm. Kind of like, well, she made some pretty poor choices and Prince wasn't that great. Wasn't and all that good, I, really. I, like I this. Know, I'm, I'm not really satisfied with the way this all tied up in the end. No, <laughs> no, no, it's interesting. But I think all of it, and almost all fiction, is about exploring... Uh, consequences to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. Like even the even the most basic of stories are about that. Um, how how our choices and our behaviours affect the people around us and affect our own lives. And, yeah. Uh, in reality, you see that too. That people whose choices have led them down paths that they wouldn't have thought they'd go down when they were five years old. Yeah, yeah. And I guess one thing about re- reality is that you know you don't have a um, you know an omniscient author swooping in no, with no, divine right. intervention to luckily to fix things, fix things yeah. at the end. Yeah. which is like a lot of my people write I think I think that's yeah. one of the things a lot of writers have said that Jonathan Carroll says it and uh, John Irving says it it's why yeah, they write yeah. is to fix and sometimes in really particular things um, like John Irving um, who is an amazing writer mm. one of his books is called I talk about this quite often um, uh, called uh, Saving Piggy Sneed. I think that's the name of the book. Mm. Um, and in it, he talks about why he became a writer. And it's because when he was younger, a group of his friends and he set fire to this old hut that they thought was uh, empty and there was a man in there oh who, who died. And so he is writing and rewriting and rewriting yeah. uh, to try and rescue Piggy Sneed. So he doesn't yeah, die. Yeah, yeah. And I have a similar sort of thing, I think. I've got in the novel that I've just finished, there's a character in that who was killed by a serial killer yeah. um, while police were waiting out the front of his house. Oh so the timing of her life was so small, you know, and like a few minutes here or there and she could have been alive. And I'm just I'm really pushed to um, save her life in this one. So it's not really a horror one, this one. It's, yeah. As it definitely has a much higher level of hope than the one I'm working on at the moment. But so it's about trying to, um, as you say, like in, in fiction, we can change things. We can give redemption uh, if we choose to, we choose or to. not. So, um, and it's a lot much harder thing to do in real life. So, yeah. yeah, maybe yeah. it's a little bit about that. Is trying to um, keep control over things that we don't often have much control over. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so um, now I had a listener question actually, mm. uh, and she wanted to know. What, and I guess we've touched on this a little bit, you know, what do you think makes people write horror in mm. particular? Um, I think, yeah, we have touched on it a little bit of what we've been talking about. I mean, it's just, I'm just speaking for myself, but certainly yeah. the horror writers that I know uh, are exploring similar themes. We're yeah. trying to understand the world around us. 
trying to figure out why things are so unfair, yeah, why things yeah. don't work out for some people and they do work out for others. Yeah. Um, and we're really t- uh, tapped in, for me in particular, and I think many other colour writers as well, you're really tapped in um, to yourself at a visceral level, like your, your emotional responses can be quite strong mm-hmm. to things, and your physical responses to the things mm-hmm. we're seeing are strong, can be really strong as well. So it's that imagery that um, that stays with us, and we just explore it in different ways, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah, but I, you know, and I, and I, I wonder, do you find that writing about things that often might be dark thematically, do you find that that, how does that affect you? How do you kind of? No, well, I have this theory, which other people have heard before, that horror writers and butchers and plumbers are all really nice people because yeah, we're all dealing. And yeah, like you've never met a mean butcher you know, or a mean plumber. Like they're usually very friendly and cheery. Yeah, yeah. And horror writers are almost always the same because yeah. I feel like we're dealing with the nasty stuff. We're actually working with it and, and working through it, and butchers do as well, and plumbers all definitely do. <laughs> um, and so you can kind of be nice, you know, you've got space to be nicer in your or, or more positive I guess yeah so I certainly find that but I'm just as a, as a writing if I'm not writing for a while then I start to get very frustrated and you know a bit more bad tempered than maybe <laughs> I would otherwise um, but I definitely do feel that I do explore the dark side I think we all have an element of the dark side in us and yeah and um, we can easily slip into feeling very sad or depressed like most people have that ability um, or that, that not ability that uh, that tendency. Tendency. Yeah. Um, and so somehow working through, I can, I feel like I can somehow work through that in, in fiction. I can work out some yeah. of those darker and sadder feelings in the fiction. Yeah. So it feels mm. the, the process for writing horror. Do you think does it feel quite cathartic? It does feel quite cathartic. Yeah. yeah. Not always, but it, yeah, it certainly can do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess how do you feel when you go back and read? quite dark stuff that you've written it can be it really surprises me sometimes yeah yeah um and it's been I think it's changed a little bit since I had children like my children are nearly grown up now they're 20 and 17 yeah um and but I think things I think my vision changed slightly when I had them mm. um just because I'm probably thinking about not so much them reading it but just to think about myself from their eyes I guess yeah um so I've had to work a little bit harder at, at maintaining that dark connection yeah, to fiction. But yeah, it is interesting to read, read back on it. Um, there's a story that I want to read aloud um, when I'm in America. Mm. And reading back on that one, I'm like, oh gosh, Ooh, did I really do that? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is really ah, That is pretty bad. That's pretty nasty. Yeah. So I don't think I'm as extreme as I I think I was more extreme when I first started writing in midway career. And I think I'm less extreme now. I'm doing uh, a different level of horror. Yeah. Um, it was always character driven, but I think I'm more character driven now and less... Um, um, yeah, less less shocking, I suppose. Less shocking stuff, yeah. maybe, maybe happening. Mind you, people have read the grief. I probably don't agree because that was pretty horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and I wonder perhaps if um, you know, because I I think an element of horror that um, always stands out to me is just, I guess, the exploration of fear. Yes. Um, and yeah. and the sensation and the, the the you know, like like you said, that sort of visceral physical response of of fear and um you know i don't know do you find that maybe having children what makes you fear it makes you feel fearful has changed a yes bit. yeah definitely well there's more fears you more know some fears, of these right, more okay. fears <laughs> <laughs> i'm still scared of the old stuff and this whole whole lot of new stuff right. to of, yeah. <laughs> um yeah no it definitely definitely yeah. has, has added to that 
Um, yeah, and I think fear is such a fascinating thing. Like children don't feel they have to learn fear, don't you? Yeah. Like tiny children aren't scared of anything. Like they have to learn to be scared of things. They have to have something that occurs to them, that happens to them, and then they're scared in the future of that thing. Like there's yeah. very little that you are instinctively scared of. Yeah, um, even like scared of like a like a tiny baby on the change table isn't scared of falling off. Yeah. But once they're fallen off, then they might be scared of the edge. Yeah. You know, they might yeah. have to, but they have to have fallen off once in order to have that fear of it or see someone falling off or whatever. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so it's sort of like yeah. a learned response. I think it's a, yeah, a learned um, response. Like it's an obvious natural. There's reasons why we have it. Yeah. Um, and Jonathan Carroll just been reading this amazing book by him, so I might quote him a little bit. It's just lots of little glimpses of his thoughts and things, and he's so amazing. One of the things that he says is that fear is only in the future. Like you, you can only fear in the future. You don't fear what's happened in the past. Like you have yeah. regret or grief or whatever else about what happened in the past, but you don't fear the past. You yeah. can only really fear what will happen. Like yeah. you don't even really fear for of this like of, right of right now yeah. like if it's happening then it's happening and that's a different emotion but when you fear it's more about anticipation so yeah, I suppose horror is a little bit about building and playing on that anticipation of fear yeah and I guess um, you know I think some of the you know some horror that I've read or, or even watched in films mm. the most impactful is stuff where it's sort of you know building that anticipation you know I mean everybody everybody who's seen um, you know that film, The Sixth Sense. And, oh yes, and and just yes. the way that they use like just like a clap as as someone walks past, and it's you know like yes. nothing's happened, but it's that that anticipation yeah, that yes. something's going to happen. And then once you realise about the breaths and things like that, once you sort of notice yeah. the small details that they yeah, they played yeah, in there, this, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. very clever. Yeah, oh, that's a great film. So actually, it is a great film. Speaking yes. speaking of speaking of films, do you think that there's a bit of a different, um, I guess, element to horror in literature as compared to horror in film? Do you think it is a little different? Yeah, just because of, um, when it's so visual, you can get so much done in a short period of time. Yeah. You know, so you can just show show a room so quickly in, in film, can't you? So there's a... And it's about that, uh, that, that hinting at things that aren't quite right. So in film, you can have somebody in the background slowly crawling towards you yeah but in a book I have to describe that yeah. um, in order for someone to see it and by me describing it I'm focusing on it rather than having it in the background so yeah so in, in, in the written word you, you can't do that subliminal stuff that you can do in film like yeah. shadows and like I'd have I would have to describe a terrible shadow but in film we can just see the terrible shadow yeah that's really interesting yeah so, so it makes it hard I mean, we, we have a lot of there's lots of other things we can do in different ways that make writing easier make writing horror easier like I think the emotional stuff and the character voices much much easier to write about than to show yeah because we can have lots of thinking in there and all that sort of thing and descriptive phrases and all those sorts of things but as far as the, the, the subliminal stuff mm. um, film has it much easier it's much harder to layer that subliminal stuff in so that's yeah. part of the tricks of being a horror writer is and you can't have really an in. eerie soundtrack and no, that's you know, yeah, that's right. Different colour schemes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah that is. Well, you can describe the colour. I think soundtrack is really hard because yeah. that's a hard thing to describe. You can certainly do sounds, um, and I, I do a lot with um, uh, the senses. I do a lot with yeah, the senses yeah. about tastes and things like that, and the touch of things and the way something looks. But again, you've got to really carefully layer that through. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now you just mentioned it briefly before, but do you want to just tell us a little bit about your award-winning novel, The Grief Hole? 
Yes, yes. So then I actually heard that phrase. I, I get a lot of my ideas and little inspirations when I'm driving along and listening to the radio. Yeah. Um, you never know what you're going to hear and what little snippets you hear. And often if I'm in the middle of something, I will turn it on and deliberately go for a drive and just see what, what comes to me. Um, and that was just a, a, a phrase that somebody used about loss. And they said, it's like you fall into a, a, a hole of grief. Mm. And I just thought that description was so perfect. Mm. Um, so when I was thinking about... Uh, a story that I wanted to write about an abandoned building um, and because I'd taken a photo when I was in Montreal quite a few years ago and there was this amazing old building with half of it was sheared off and there was a wall but mm. halfway up the wall there was a hole in the wall that had once been a doorway. Um, yes, yeah, so there was no door on it, it was just this hole up there. <laughs> I know, it was amazing, <laughs> really amazing. And I just thought, and, and it was you know dark and my imagination of course builds it to much more than it was. But I thought, well, that is a physical grief hole. What would happen if that was a physical grief hole? Yeah. Right. And also talking about the emotional grief hole, so about loss and losing loved ones and how much uh, you only really can suffer grief if you've loved. Mm. You know, you can feel sad for things, for, for famous people or whatever. But to really feel that deep grief, you have to have really loved, which is a gift, you know. It's a, it's a terrible thing to experience, but it's a gift to have loved like that. And then imagining uh, this uh, third sort of a grief hole, which is a, one of the characters who actually can see the grief hole in you. Yeah. And she's a mother, so she was not not, in, not based on me, but inspired by some of the feelings I have for my children. Um, how much she tries to protect her children from their grief hole getting too big. So everything yeah, she does yeah. is about trying to keep their grief hole small. So that's a part yeah, of it. That's, that's sort of the inspiration of it. Um, but it's about it. her sister, um, Teresa, who knows how you're going to die by the ghosts who haunt you. Yes, right. And she tries to save people, but she doesn't know really, she doesn't know what it means most of the time and doesn't know how she can act. Yeah. So she has these things she calls interventions every now and then yeah. um, where she helps people, but it, she doesn't always know what the results will be. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of kind of like a, a little bit like those stories about people who can time travel and or yes. you know people who can go back in time and, and change an element and yeah. and you, you sort of it's like the butterfly effect you know you might just make a tiny little change but you've got no idea how it you don't know turn out. you don't know and you don't yeah. know what that what that choice you know what choice you should make like what what yeah. you should say what are the exact right words you should say yeah 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 no so she yeah so she does that and then she ends up giving that up because she just can't. She just feels too responsible for the things that happen. Goes to work in her uncle's stamp company and finds out that she didn't know before that her uh, younger cousin had committed suicide there. And so it's her sort of trying to identify and just sees in her um, uncle and aunt just the deep grief that they feel about that and trying to help them by figuring out why she did it. Yeah, that's brilliant. And so, and because you it's won a couple of prizes for this book. Yeah, it did really well. It did uh, won all three genre awards in Australia, which is the first time that's any novel has done that. It was very exciting. Congratulations! Yes. Like, it was, so it's the Aurealis? Aurealis, the Dittmar and the Australian Shadows, which yes. is the horror one. Uh, and, and, and you, I think you won the ACT Writers' Central Award. The ACT Writers' Central Award yep. and also the Canberra Critics Circle Award, oh, which well. is a really amazing one. I love that one. They do it every year and they award it to, they, they don't even have a limit to the numbers. Yeah, um, right. They award it to fiction and dance and uh, acting. Oh, so just yeah. all kinds of all art. Kinds. Yeah. And it's the most wonderful. I love this award night. It's like you see all these tribes of camera come out. Yeah. And you can see the dancers of these beautifully graceful people. The actors are really dramatic. The artists have got, you know, like fabulous colours and things yeah, on. Yeah. The writers, I don't know what the writers are, whether. <laughs> You know, I try, I try and be a little mix of both of them, I suppose, yeah. all of the bits together. But I just love it. It's the tribes of camera that come out and you can you can pretty much pick, not totally, 
um, yeah, but they do them every year. And it's just a Cam- there's a certain group of Canberra critics, mm. and they just choose um, people and pieces that have been sort of stand out that year, I suppose. So I'm really proud. I love. I'm really proud of one that I won it for that, and I've won it a couple of times actually. Yeah. Really, really proud. Well, of that. no, that's an amazing achievement. Yeah. Well, thank, yeah. You, thank you. Yeah, it's quite. It is quite a resonant book, I think. It really has. Does seem to affect people. Yeah. Um, some people find it too hard to read because it is very, very confronting, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Um, and some people have found it redemptive. Um, yeah, one of my copy editors um, had lost his wife just a couple of years before and he said he found it really hard at first, but by the end of it he, he found it redemptive. Yeah, okay. So would, um, you, would you describe it as being horror? Look, I would because it's ghosts and murder and yeah. there's a really, really horrible character in this called Solo Victus, who's a singer, yeah, um, who kind okay. of seduces people with his beautiful voice yeah. and with words that sound light and fluffy, but they're really, really horrible. Yeah. Um, which so many songs are like that, you know, it's interesting when you hear these really light and fluffy songs songs and then you listen to the lyrics and they're very depressing yeah or even sometimes I, I, one thing that I've been thinking a lot about recently is um, you know because you hear all of these stories coming out of, of, seems to you know about musicians in particular I think who end up actually having done some pretty awful things yes. in their personal lives yes, yes. but they have such beautiful music yes. um, you know for example there's this band um, called the Lost Prophets that I really used to like oh right I've heard of them no oh, yeah, no well, don't listen it's, it's, don't listen to them because their music is unbelievable but the um, lead singer ended up getting thrown into jail because he had been trying to get fans to give him their babies oh. that he could use in like some oh, Satanistic I, I didn't remember what was yeah. there yeah oh it's um, it's yeah, it's just, uh, and and I find that it really really difficult. So I can, I, I can see how it would be yes. kind of oh my gosh, an interesting I thing to play with. That. Yeah, and there was a yeah. woman who was actually charged with like she did it. I oh think, yeah, like, well, she, oh, I, I think that gosh. I think luckily no harm actually came to the kid in but, the oh end. But like she, def- she was she was gonna. Wow. See, and that's it. It's that power. It's that incredible yeah. charisma. Yeah. And how they yeah. do that. And this man. So he's. I didn't actually know about this this character. I vaguely remember reading about it. But Solo Victor is, is a similar sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Toby has these adoring thousands, you know, many, many hundreds of thousands of adoring fans, but yeah, he's not a good right. man at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it makes you wonder, can you sort of separate the, the you know, beauty of the art from the, the yes. blackness of the well, artist? Well, no, exactly. And, and sometimes, I, I don't, I sometimes don't know you, you can't. can't. You yeah, can't. You can't. Well, we're doing, with them. we really are seeing that a lot now at the yeah. moment with lots of stories that are coming out. Yeah, yes. act, you know, lots of actors yes. and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, no. that's that's a really interesting thing, I think, to explore. Yeah, yes, yeah. Well, it's hard. I had to go to some really dark places. There's a particular scene in it that was really, really hard to write. Yeah. But I knew it to be true. And that's probably why I would call it a horror, because I wrote this I wrote this scene yeah. rather than not writing the scene yeah. and rather than having a different outcome from the scene. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I guess, um, you know, do you find yourself doing that a lot when you're writing, sort of pushing pushing those boundaries yes, and, and yes. saying look maybe ordinarily I don't I stop here but I'm just going to go that extra step further yes no I do I do yeah. and knowing that if I don't go there then I'm not being true to the story yeah so, yeah. yeah or it's a different story, and, a different I, and, story and, yeah, and I need yeah. to go back and sort of change some of the rest of it too that's yeah. what the story's going to be push some of the other boundaries yeah, yeah. a little yeah, yeah. bit <laughs> yeah, or, yeah or come back from some of the boundaries or something yeah yeah, yeah. it's interesting it's all it's all a balance Hmm. So now you mentioned um, you're going overseas to America. I know, week. I know. Do you want to just tell our listeners a bit about what you're doing there? So 
So I'm going over to the World Fantasy Convention. I'm a guest of honour, Addie, which oh, is very exciting. I'm only the second Australian, I think. Garth Nix was the first one. I think so. Garth Nix was the first one, and I'm the second. Wow. And Margot Lanningham is going to be the third one next year. Yeah, yeah. So that's very exciting. Um, and I'm going to give a talk about, I've got a, 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 a keynote speech, and I'm going to talk about the Australian landscape and how yep. it affects our storytelling. Yeah. I'm mostly focusing on fantasy and horror just because that's the sort of convention, but of course yeah. there's so much in Australian other literature as well. Like I love the way Australians respond to our landscapes from the suburbs, mountains, the beach. Yeah, yeah. There's so much and how, how really attached we are to it and how much we write about it. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I read something a little while ago about uh, it, it must have been something on Facebook, and it was just a list of things that were Australian Gothic. Yes, um, yes. I'll have to, I'll, I'll dig it out for the. Oh, I'd love so to see that. Yeah, yeah, I'll send yeah, it to you as well. It's really, too. it's like really chilling, but also hilarious because yeah. it's super familiar. Yes, um, and it's something. Like, it has things like you know the kookaburras start laughing. You don't know if they're laughing at you or not. Yeah. Just like really like <laughs> yeah. quite eerie, eerie things. But yeah, I remember. I remember when I was. Um, in school we read this short story and it was a horror story mm. um, and I, it must have I'll have to see if I can dig it up but um, it was really like very very creepy and it was sort of I think about these kids who'd gone to go live on a farm and uh, it it there was a there was a windmill that was like really rusty and, okay. and quite, quite like really like sounded really awful and for some reason, one of the kids, I think, kept having in their mind as the windmill was going around, like the words, like you know, here comes the, um, here comes the something to put you to bed, and here comes the chopper to oh, chop yeah, off your yeah. head, and like kept like imagining the windmill blades like <laughs> chopping off their head, and I, it, it has always stuck with oh, me because gosh. it was so much about that really like dry, arid, yes. red, yep, yep, yep. dusty desert yeah. kind of Australia. Yeah, you know? isn't that yeah. interesting? And that kind of, and a bit about that sort of you know that kind of English nursery rhyme influence coming into it, yeah, but which we like definitely do. Very dark in that context, yeah. Yeah, isn't that interesting? And I think yeah. so many of us do really do like that. We have the, the landscape is really a part of the character. Like yeah. People are writing in the suburbs; they have the suburbs as part of the character. The city yes. is a part of the character. The yeah. beaches as well. Yeah. Partly, I was inspired by quite a few years ago at one of the other American conventions I was at. And they had a panel about um, where do you put your, you know, where do you place your horror fiction? Can you write horror fiction outside the dark places? Mm. And they didn't seem to think you could. <laughs> they haven't been to Australia. They haven't been to Australia. <laughs> and they clearly didn't know very much about Australian fiction or what we write yeah, over here. So yeah. partly it's about that, like just wanting to um, let people know just the broad variety of what we're writing over here, um, how we're influenced and the broad variety of our amazing landscape. So, mm. yeah. Oh, that sounds fabulous! Yeah, so I'm doing. A, I'm going to LA too, just for a couple of nights, but doing a reading at a place called the Bearded Ladies Mystic Museum. I've heard of that. Oh, place. have you? Yeah, I think uh-huh. so. It's yeah. in LA. Oh, and they said as part so of it, they said, oh, would you like to have contortionists and sword swallowers? And did you say absolutely yes? Of course. <laughs> Who would say no to sword swallowers and contortionists? Who would say no? And did you say, can they please just be my entourage everywhere? <laughs> I know. Can they just come with me from now on, please? So I've, got to, I've been trying to pick which story I'll read it then because yeah. I feel like it's going to be something that's suitably bizarre and... Yeah, I mean, do you have anything that's a bit sort of circusy or? Bit, um, you know, I've got one. I, yeah, I didn't think I did, but I've got one. It's called Tiger Kill, and it's about a group of people who are eating a particular soup at a restaurant, 
and all the performances that are going on to entertain oh, that them sounds perfect. happening. So I think it will be good. It's an older story. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's a few bits. Of some, a friend of mine just read it and he said, oh, look, it's going to be great, but are you sure you can say beep? <laughs> so there's, so there's a couple of bits and they're like, oh, God, can I really read that aloud? Um, so I might edit the really rude bits the out, rude maybe. Bits. They, might, they might love it. Though. They might love it. Yeah. They might love it. I'll see. I'll see how I Suss feel. I don't, but I, I have to practice not getting the giggles. Oh, like yeah. I have this terrible feeling <laughs> that I'll read these bits and I'll get the giggles and that would not be good. So I, yeah, I may, I may do a little edit. But I think I'll do that one because that is yeah. a bit circus-like. It's all these weird performances that are going on around the yeah, table. Yeah, yeah. So I think that one's Oh, that injury. sounds thematically just 100% Yeah. Oh, good. All yeah. right. Excellent. I'll do that oh, one. Oh, good. We've sorted yeah. that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's exciting going to America. So um, are you working on writing anything at the moment? You might get some inspiration. While yes. No, I do, I do need more inspiration. Um, I'm just finishing this the story I was telling you about, about trying to rescue this woman um, who was killed by a serial killer. So yes. that's about a woman who has a big old house in the country and she's invaded by a group of uh, escaped prisoners. Yeah. Right. And what happens. So she runs ghost tours. It's one of these houses that you run. She runs ghost yeah, tours. Okay. And whether or not the ghosts... I haven't actually decided if the ghosts are real or not. Still yeah. figuring that out. Sometimes it's nice to leave it a little bit ambiguous. Yeah, I don't well. know. You know, I don't know. I think in this one, I feel like I want to be sure. Yeah. Um, in it, yeah. I know it often is ambiguous, but I'm kind of feeling like I want to be definite in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just finishing a novella. I mean, I went to Perth just recently um, to do a fellowship at the uh, Catherine Susanna Pritchett House, which oh, is wow. amazing. And if any of your readers are uh, listeners are writers, they should look it up and apply for it. It was just amazing. Oh, that so gorgeous um, but I got taken to see this uh, old railway tunnel there and it was through about the 1890s or something like that and it was so atmospheric and so fascinating and the lady who took me I think was about 84 or 85 very sprightly and she just kept telling me all these wonderful stories about her childhood and her early marriage and what she did then and this and just all these amazing little stories and about lost jewellery and where she couldn't find her wedding ring and and it was just this really fabulously intense experience I suppose and I came back and wrote just within in that week I wrote 20,000 words of this novella wow just oh I got gosh. it out I had to do a lot of work with it like it really yeah. was like, oh, you know the vomit the vomit draft um, so I had to work a lot with it to try and make it make sense yeah. but I finally got it and I've sent it off but I've also then realised that I wanted to change things too of course is what yeah, happens yeah, yeah. Um, but it won't be too late if, they, if this person buys the story I can easily do one more tiny little edit just a couple of I figured out what the motivations of the characters were yeah. which I kind of knew and then I really figured it out so. yeah gosh it yeah. sounds like it was very productive it was time. so productive so I finished the novel off which was very close to finishing but finished the novel and then worked on this novella as well oh, really? it was so, really good it was just amazing yeah, yeah. Yes. are we staying there as well yeah so they have three cabinets there, three residential cabins, and they're they're close to, very close to uh, the old house where Catherine Susanna Pritchard lived. Yeah. Um. So you can go up there and make coffees and dinners and things, and they have lots of writing groups. So, oh. and if you time it well, then you go up there at morning tea time and you get morning tea oh. with the writing group. So that's really good. <laughs> I love morning tea. <laughs> morning tea is so good, especially with the country ladies. You know, they make very good morning tea. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh, sandwiches and things. Loved it. It yeah. was really good. So it sounds like you've got quite a lot going on at the moment then. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And short stories, I'm trying to remember, short stories to write and another novel to get started on. And it's always, yeah. there's always lots of Always funny to yes. do. Yes. Brilliant. All right, well, thank you so much, Karen. It's been a delight. Thank you. It's been very good and the rain stopped. So we can I know, it's finally stopped. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
That was author Karen Warren chatting to us about horror and her award-winning novel, The Grief Hole. You can pick up a copy at all good bookstores, and you can check out her website at k-a-a-r-o-n-w-a-r-r-e-n.wordpress.com for updates about her other projects. Now, September was a solid reading month, and I got through five books, though I'm still seriously lagging behind in my Goodreads challenge, and I'm starting to think I'm going to have to read some very quick graphic novels or kids' books or something so that I can make my challenge of 80 books, because it's looking dire now. Anyway, to try and counteract the 1,200-page behemoth I read the previous month, I picked a novella for my fantasy book club book, and we went with The Tides of Heaven by non-binary Singaporean author J.Y. Yang. It was a very interesting example of the fantasy science fiction subgenre silk punk set in an East Asian inspired world. But ironically, I actually felt like the story should have been longer and I found myself wanting a little bit more detail and world building. I read a very interesting retelling of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein set in Iraq called Frankenstein in Baghdad by Ahmed Sadawi. It was a fascinating premise and tackled the issue of war and the American invasion in a really creative and visceral way, but it was a hard slog and there were very few meaningful female characters. Another book that a lot of people have been talking about is debut young adult novel Mally Boys by Charlie Archibald. Set in rural Victoria, the story is told from the perspective of two brothers struggling to find their place after a life-changing event. It's a compelling story, which I haven't yet reviewed in detail on the Tinted Edges webpage, that unpacks some of the pressures faced by boys in rural areas. I did feel like it would have been good to look at the changing demographics of country towns, though, and include some kids of different ethnic backgrounds or sexualities. All right, readers, that's it from me. I'll be back in November with another book-themed topic and with lots of book news and book reviews. If you want to support this podcast and help to keep it on air, check out the Patreon page where you can support Lost the Plot for as little as a dollar an episode. You can also follow the Tinted Edges Facebook page to keep up to date with upcoming book events. You can leave a review on iTunes or subscribe to the Tinted Edges website. Thanks so much for listening.